1: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to sixty percent off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com/acast. That's burrow.com/acast. burrow.com/acast.
2: Storytime.
1: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping.
0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host
2: for several years i worked as a government contractor contracted by the forest service i was stationed at the time out in flagstaff arizona so i spent a lot of my time hiking down in the grand canyon one night at about four in the morning i was heading to the ranger station in the village of supai the only place you can stay overnight in the canyon i was hiking about seven miles down where i would have to cut through territory it was just beginning to get light out but due to the elevation it was quite chilly that's when i noticed at the top of the hill before you enter something was moving in the bushes. At first, I thought it was a bobcat, and I approached it slowly to get a closer look. I noticed this animal had two large ears, a way too long tail, and was covered in some type of fur I could not identify. It had the body shape of a bobcat, but with the head of I don't know. I couldn't tell what it was at first, its face was turned away from me, All I could see was the side of its face, and that's when I noticed something very strange. It looked like a cross between the face of a bobcat and more of a lion, or maybe a hyena. Its eyes were a bright green, and the body was covered in very thick fur that reminded me of thorns. Its front legs also looked different. Its front paws were not really paws but more like hands. It was hunched over in a strange way like it was digging for something. I froze there for a minute, trying to figure out what I was looking at, and it turned around to look at me. Did I see the elusive cactus cat that I'd heard so much about, a cryptid that is seen all around Arizona? My heart began beating out of my chest. For a minute, I thought about running away, but it only took one look into those eyes to realize this thing was not that aggressive at all. So, I slowly approached it, moving my hand towards it. The thing looked at me with what I can only assume to be fear or curiosity. It did seem harmless enough. As I got within maybe eight or seven feet of it, it turned around and shot down right down the hill. This thing had quickly disappeared, bolting up and down the hill, as if something much bigger had spooked it. I was still in total and complete awe of what I just saw. Maybe it was just spooked by a snake or something, so I continued on my way to the ranger station. About 20 minutes later, I got there, got in for my shift, and never mentioned it to anybody. I thought they would think I was crazy. In fact, this is the first time I'm even sitting down, telling my story, just because it's so bizarre. It wasn't really scary but it definitely caught me off guard more than anything else. I was not expecting this to happen. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in person. To anybody out there living in the southwestern portion of the United States, have you ever heard of this elusive cat? And if you do, do you know of anybody who's ever seen one? Before the sighting, I'd only ever heard of it briefly which is why I'm still kind of shocked at the fact that I even saw it. I live in California, and about 10 years ago, in the area known as Azusa near the canyon in the hills, there are new homes in this community. I was attending a premiere with my son, who was in a commercial, and I parked across the street in a business complex, due to the lack of availability of street parking. We arrived at the home, and a few hours later, we decided to leave. I remember it was around 6 p.m., and we headed towards our car. I first opened the passenger's door to let my son in, and as he started to get into it, we turned to look on the side of us. Underneath the awnings of the building, there were lights, allowing us to see very well an animal was running north towards the street, passing in front of the car right by us. This animal was on all four legs like a dog and actually bigger than a dog. However, the worst part was it was grunting and moved fast. I yelled to my son to get in the car and I ran around the back of the car to get into the driver's side, not taking my eyes off the animal. This big dog turned its head to look at us and was in front of my car, looking directly at me with a man's head attached to the body, and it had red eyes. We didn't say anything or talk about it again. This is a real incident that occurred during our visit to this location. I don't like people much. Never have. As a young boy I left my parents home to become a park ranger in the Great Smoky Mountains because I thought it'd mean I could be in nature all day. I was a glorified janitor and tour guide for most of my tenure there. Nothing makes me angrier than some yuppie asking me. You know the closest gas station. I do but I could give a shit less whether you find it. Or, you know any great stories. No, I don't. I lasted about two months before I was fed up with it, and left to find work that fit me better. I tried to be a fisherman since I loved to fish, but I hated it after five months. Nothing appeased my young mind, so I up and left society. With whatever money I had left I bought as many tools as possible, and went out into the woods of the Smoky Mountains. After some time I found a beautiful clearing in the woods. flat covered my trees, and most importantly miles from any town. It took me about a month to build myself a little cabin straight out of the little house on the prairie, and plant some food so I could survive. I've been out here for god knows how long, maybe a decade. But every day is the same just how I like it. I wake up to the sun shining into my room, covering the walls with warm light. I walk out onto my porch and sit there and think for most of the morning. Once I feel as though I'm ready for the day I get up to go hunt or fish down the hill. If I catch something, I'll come back and clean it. If I catch a raccoon or a rabbit, I'll skin them and dry the hides for selling at the flea market 10 miles away. I know I said I hate people, but sometimes there's something I just can't build on my own. I'll eat dinner by myself then roll into bed to start the next day. That's how it's been, and that's how I like it. But the past couple of weeks I can swear I hear someone talking to me from the surrounding woods. I assume it's just the wind. Or maybe I'm finally going crazy after all these years. Most of the time I can barely make out the words. I know something is being said, but I'll only catch a few syllables here and there. It doesn't scare me one bit, but I just find it strange. Finally, last week about five days ago, I heard my first full sentence. The woods are no place for a man like you. It startled me, that's for sure. It seemed to be coming from outside the house, near my front porch. I flung my wooden door open almost knocking it off its hinges, and pointed out into the dark with my old Remington. You don't know who you're messing with, I shouted. My voice traveled through the trees, but nothing responded. Angry that someone may be on my property, I sat in my living room gun across MT lap for the whole night. I awoke in the morning startled by a loud noise at my feet. I had dropped the Remington onto the floor. My heart beat fast, but quickly subsided to its usual lub-dub, my day was normal yet again. I decided I needed some more ammo, so I went into town and sold some skins to the locals, and made my way back to the cabin. Night rolled in, and I sat on my porch, until the sun had long left my side of the mountain. It had started to get pretty chilly, so I made my way into the house, and threw some logs into the wood fire stove, and sat in my lounger. I tried my best to stay awake, but my head kept bobbing like I was listening to some old rock and roll as a young kid. I was seconds away from slumber when I heard something close to my ear. That gun isn't going to save you from us. My eyes sprung open, and I shot up out of my seat. Panting, I looked around the room and saw nothing. Heard nothing. I was so damned angry, I stomped my foot like a little kid and yelled. If I see you, I've got a bullet loaded with your name on it. I stormed off to my room and locked my door. I could say I wasn't frightened, but does someone who isn't scared clutch a rifle to their chest and stay up all night? I couldn't tell you. By this time, I had been pretty sleep deprived and decided to stay in my cabin all day. The voices started to appear in the early evening before the sun went down. They increased in their frequency and volume. This land is not meant for you. It is ours, and we will rip it from your hands. We can see you. Only a matter of time before your skin and bones become dirt. At this point I couldn't eat, drink, or sleep. I moved my chair to face directly towards the door and sat there. The night passed into day, and the voices taunted me. I never wavered. I never moved. Day rolled into night again, and I sat with my bladder full and my colon ready to explode. But I wasn't moving. The voices became so loud that I tried to cover my ears. It didn't help. They seemed to be coming from inside my head. All of a sudden they stopped around 10 pm, all was quiet, except for the light crinkling of leaves outside my cabin. Each crinkle came closer and closer by the second. Until the crinkling stopped and I could hear feet thudding on my wooden porch. I readied my rifle at the door and waited. The footsteps stopped in front of the door. Two knocks ran through the wooden door and to my ears. I pulled the trigger, and a bullet traveled straight through the door. A heavy thud hit my deck, and I ran to the door and swung it open. On the ground lay a short, young man in a park ranger uniform. In his hand was a letter. I picked it up and brought it to my face to read it better. It was a notice of wildfires increasing in the area, and to let them know if I see any. I crumpled to the deck and wailed. The voices never returned. I had a neutral sighting with one of these creatures about three half years ago. I live in Rosetta, California, in the San Fernando Valley, across the street from the local city park. It's a fairly large park with a duck pond and tennis courts etc. I was waiting at the bus stop across the street very early in the morning, around 4.45 am. I looked over to the dark park, and could see a silhouette of what I thought was a giant dog, maybe a Malamute because of the sheer size. It was about 30 meters away and galloping through the park, not going too fast. It seemed to not notice or acknowledge me, I was the only person out. The longer I watched it run, I realized it wasn't a dog or a coyote. It looked like a werewolf, very long and lanky front legs, and the rear was very short, sort of like a hyena, but it was so large. When on all fours, the back was as tall as me at 5 foot 2. I was stunned and didn't know what I was looking at. At that moment, the bus pulled up, and I thought I was seeing things. When I sat down in my seat and looked back at the park, I could still see it galloping through the grass. It disappeared into the darkness as the bus drove off. I told myself for several days I was crazy and saw a large dog. Less than a week later, my husband and I were walking our dog through the park in a back area, where there is a small grouping of trees. We noticed these huge claw mark looking scratches that ran all the way down the trunk of at least three trees. They were huge gashes that went all the way up about 10-13 feet. We had never seen anything like this on trees before. Over the next several weeks, the trees that had been scratched had died. They stopped growing leaves, and the scratch marks had turned soot black, like they had been burned, and they appeared to be rotting from the inside out. The city eventually removed the decayed trees, and there haven't been any more damages since then. The final confirmation happened a few days after the sighting. I ran into a homeless man who had been staying in the park for a while. I would sometimes buy him food when he was outside the corner store. While we were talking, he told me that he didn't stay at the park at night anymore, because there were black beasts that had been running around at night in the back area. He said they would come out of the canal that runs along the middle of the park. His description was large, dog-like black beasts, but they were no dog. I wanted to share my sighting because nothing horrible happened to me, thank goodness. It was all very neutral, but still scary. To this day, I don't go to the park unless it's daylight. Thank you for letting me share my story. In the mid-1980s, My cousin and I saw this, I'd call it a werewolf. We saw it on a gravel road, but I was raised as a Christian so seeing something like this, it looked like it was beautiful, but it was evil, and it bothered me for a long time. I came back from Dallas, Texas to my little town of Winona, Mississippi where I was raised. My cousin said, they're having this Christmas party, and I said, look, I wanna see a deer because I hadn't seen a deer in a long time, so I'd been in the city. She said, we'll take this poor house road, this little gravel road between these two main highways. And so, we're riding in a little Toyota pickup, and the headlights hit what I thought was a deer, it was kinda hunched over in the road, and she said, there's one, and she took off real fast with the bright lights on, and we stopped maybe 25 feet from it, just thinking, It's gonna run off into the woods and everything, but it stayed there, and it raised up, and it was like, maybe, 7 feet tall, but it had its back to us, and a little like rabbit or something took off. I remember seeing it going off to the right, and just for, maybe a second, it blurred. It kinda moved back and forth. You can't see the pattern on the top because it becomes like a blur when it starts spinning. That's why I think maybe it was from another dimension because it spun like that. I mean it kinda like blurred. Then it stopped, and then it turned around, and it walked straight. Not like a regular animal running in the woods to the left, and the right to get away. Then it came straight for the driver's side of the Toyota. I was in the passenger side, and it was really, I mean it had fur, it had mud on the rump of it. And it was wider in the middle like you said it was kind of leaning over toward the front walking the legs were like big like a donkey or a mule or a horse but they were like a wolf they had that backward look it was an animal but i don't know i thought about it for years i didn't know did i see a spirit i don't know it had mud on it and it wasn't afraid of us i think back now and you know it could have killed us if it wanted to, it walked right by, when it got to the front of the Toyota, it was a two wheel drive, I was on the passenger side, it was so tall that I couldn't see when it got close to the front, and it started walking right down her side of the truck, and she looked up at this thing, she looked straight up at it, I couldn't see what was going on. All I could see was the fur, and the rump and all that as it came by her driver's side window, and she made this weird sound like she was sucking air. Like she just looked straight, and I turned around and looked, and as it walked by the back window of the truck, and it just kind of, it walked funny like a dog's legs on the back. You know, there are many different when it a dog stands up. It looks like it's almost crippled when it walks. Its knees were backward. And as it went on by, I thought, my god, you know, what is that? And it jumped up on a little sage grass bank, and it kinda cocked its head, and looked at me just with his right eye. It never looked me right in the eyes like straight over. I think I would have passed out. My cousin, when it jumped off in the woods, she said, that didn't look right. And we're still sitting there idling. It was so bold it came along her truck and walked real slow. It wasn't running or anything like an animal, it just walked. It wasn't afraid and I said, it looked like a wolf, and she looked at me, and she said, so you saw the same thing I saw. She later went to the preacher, and she asked him, what was it? He said some people see demons, and some people see angels. But for years, it bothered me so badly until I started seeing sketches of it. I thought, okay, that's exactly what we saw, and it really helped me. On the 1st of January, a mysterious event unfolded at Bayfront Marketplace when locals witnessed a significant influx of law enforcement officers. Photographs and videos showed that there were over 30 police cars along with black helicopters seen throughout the area. However, no one seems to know what happened. Posts on social media show people running away from the area saying that a humanoid creature was spotted, while others said that a strange creature was seen roaming through the mall. As of January 4th, The official explanation that has been given is that the incident seemingly originated from a gathering of adolescents letting off fireworks. As the crowd scattered this created chaos and disturbance for local businesses and motorists in the vicinity. The disruption caused inconvenience and hindered the smooth functioning of establishments and transportation in the area. Those who followed this story didn't buy this explanation and wondered why would over 30 police cars and black helicopters respond to a few people letting off fireworks. One man by the name of John said that he thinks something is being covered up. While strolling along a bustling street lined with various shops and establishments John's attention was unexpectedly drawn to something unusual. A humanoid, tall and slender, moved among the crowd, and it was at this point that people started to turn around and look. Initially, he disregarded it as a mere street entertainer, or someone casually dressed in an eccentric outfit. However, as he advanced towards it, he gradually comprehended that what lay before his eyes was far from ordinary. The enigmatic being possessed limbs that stretched beyond typical human proportions, giving it an otherworldly appearance in the bustling marketplace. The creature's skin glimmered with an ethereal silver hue, reflecting the soft glow of the moonlight above amid a bustling crowd. There were captivating almond-shaped eyes that emitted a captivating and otherworldly glow. The man reported that it was as if the creature possessed an uncanny ability to blend into its surroundings, evading the attention of oblivious passersby. This enigmatic encounter left John utterly perplexed struggling to make sense of the hauntingly surreal experience unfolding before his eyes. After this, he said he quickly left the area. One person who was in the AR during this event said that a series of loud and abrupt sounds disrupted their peaceful evening. While he couldn't confirm their exact nature, he speculated on the possibility of fireworks being set off in celebration of the new year curiosity getting the better of him, he ventured outside only to be greeted by a chaotic scene with throngs of people sprinting in all directions. The situation escalated rapidly as a swarm of police cars, approximately 20 in number, arrived with blaring sirens. According to the Miami Police Department, a group of young individuals armed with sticks were involved in a conflict of some kind which prompted the intervention of law enforcement officers to manage the crowd. Upon their arrival witnesses reported that the teenagers quickly dispersed in various directions, attempting to evade capture or further confrontation. One witness said the following. Ever since the incident occurred I have diligently been monitoring the news eager to gather any information about what transpired. There were widespread reports of commotion within the crowd with individuals audibly expressing their concerns and warnings about an unidentified presence. Now we are being told that all of this is attributed to a group of young individuals armed with nothing more than mere sticks. The puzzling part is that none of it seems to make any logical sense, leaving me with the unsettling feeling that we have yet to uncover the complete truth. Upon reflection, it appears that there may have been additional events that transpired that evening which are currently being concealed from public knowledge. It was 2013. I just started driving a truck. I had just got my truck after being trained and everything. I drove from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Cherokee, Alabama. I didn't drive straight through, but I got up early this one day to get my load there on time, and I was taking this load of paper, scrap paper to Cherokee, Alabama to a plant that makes Kleenex. So I had gotten up early to finish out my load, so I could get there on time. I drove probably 8 hours or something like that. Got my load delivered, picked up an empty trailer and got a hold of my dispatcher to find out what he wanted me to do next. He didn't have any work for me so I said, I'm gonna go lay down for a little while. So I went to a little truck stop that was just down the road. Took a nap. Got up and decided to have some lunch. Got some lunch, and while I was eating my lunch, I decided to get my next load, which was in Decatur. Alabama, which was probably an hour away or something like that from where I was in Cherokee. Maybe a little more or a little less, somewhere in that range. So I went to pull out on this road, and there was this big black truck, all lifted up, all jacked up and everything, a pickup truck. So I thought I'd let him go first because he was moving. So when he passed, I pulled out, and I got the whole truck straightened out. There's a 72, two lanes are going one way and two lanes going the other way, divided by medians between them, and then trees. You're kinda driving through the woods. Trees on both sides of the road. If I had to guess it was maybe 50 yards from the trees to the trees, maybe a little more. Something like that. I'm driving along, just getting the truck straightened out, seeing what's going on around me. All of a sudden, out of the woods to my right, this thing came running. And it was fast. Fast, fast. I don't know what it was, but I know it was fast. So fast that I couldn't really tell you what it was. But I tell you this, it made that clearing from the woods to the road, which I could tell you was a good sized clearing. It made that clearing from the woods to the road in about, at most, 10 steps. That's how fast it was going. That's how big strides it was taking, but anyway, it crossed out in front of the road, and that big black truck in front of me. I don't even know if he knew that he hit it, but he hit it. Hit it right in the hip, and turned it around, twisted it around, and it fell in a ball on the shoulder. The guy didn't pay any attention to it. I was thinking, what the heck was that thing? I know what it looked like, but I didn't want to sound crazy. So I drove by it. My window's down because I was smoking, and so I'm slowing down to kind of look at it, see what it is. I'm looking out my window, and it's balled up. Whatever it was, it was a big ball. This truck was jacked up, and it hit this thing in the hip, and it fell into a ball on the ground. When I drove by it, it wasn't dead, but it was mad. I couldn't see it. Like all I could see was its hair couldn't see it, but it was mad. You could hear it making grunts. Like, it was like pissed. I was like, I think I just saw Bigfoot. Again I don't know what it was but swear to god, I don't know what it was. I was tired. I lay down and slept for 3 hours. I had lunch, but it was like I just woke up. I had lunch before I left so I wasn't crazy. This thing, it wasn't like big, enormous like 7 or 8 feet tall, like how when you think about Bigfoot being. He was probably 6 feet tall or whatever. He wasn't like enormously large, but he was still big. You could see when I drove by it was loaded with muscle underneath all that hair. I got my load and drove for a little while. Got parked for the night, and called my wife. Told them about it. They were all in amazement. My mother said, why didn't you go back and take a picture of it? Because I didn't know what it was, a bear. If it was a Bigfoot, I didn't know what it was. All I knew was that it was mad, and I wasn't gonna figure out what it was in case it ripped me in half. I got home that weekend. We had a big party because my sister-in-law had just graduated from nursing school. So we all went out to dinner. Me, my brother, my family, with her family and everything. We're kinda close with her family. So I told her dad about it, and he said that was a bear. I've never seen a bear other than like at the zoo or on TV. So maybe it was a bear, but when I think of a bear, I don't think of a bear as running on its hind legs. When a bear gets up on its hind legs, it's more for an intimidation type thing. I see him taking a couple of steps. But I don't see them full out sprinting, running and I always think of bears' hind legs, at least in my head, being a little stubby kind of legs. This thing was fast, and it had big huge, like normal people's legs, but it had big long arms. It took that stride in like 10 steps before it crossed the road, and then crossed the road in like 2. That's my story of Bigfoot. I don't know if it was Bigfoot. I don't know what it was. All I know is that it freaked me out. I told my wife about it that night when I got parked. She looked it up, and there have been all kinds of Bigfoot sightings around Decatur, Alabama so maybe it was Bigfoot. I don't know but I thought it would be a cool story to share with you. I'm pretty sure I saw Bigfoot. I don't know but I'm pretty sure. That's all that I know. This experience happened to me after I left the military. I was hunting near Mount Saint Helens, Washington. This is my first trip back and I wanted to get in some elk hunting. I was so excited to be back home and able to go hunting, which I love. My hunting partner was not able to go with me on this trip. So I was going to make a solo trip, which I've done many times before. I knew the area well enough and was prepared for what it would present. I always take at least 3 days worth of provisions when hunting and survival gear in the way of extra clothing, poncho, matches, fire starter, and other essential items in my backpack. I know that many do not take such precautions when hunting, but I do because once while hunting I got turned around so bad that I spent 3 days in the woods, wishing I had something with me other than my gun, knife, and what I was wearing on my back. On this trip, I was going to hunt a power transmission line right away. I parked on the logging road and walked about a mile to where I would sit on top of a ridge, where I would be able to watch both sides. It allowed me to be able to have a clear shot for over 400 yards in either direction. I'd taken several elk in the same location in various seasons over the years before entering the service. I walked in before the light and reached the spot where I intended to hunt before the sun came up. I was there all day and did not see a thing. This was highly unusual as every other time I had chosen this location, I always saw something. It was all so more quiet than I remember for some reason. I also had the feeling of being watched, but thought it was nothing. About an hour before dark and close to when I would have to leave, I started to hear movement to the right in the woods. It was not the usual sounds you hear from an animal, more like someone walking in the woods. I thought that maybe someone else was hunting in this area. I took note to be careful, and not to shoot in that direction should an elk walk out. I never saw anyone else but kept having that feeling I was being watched. It was just a feeling I could not shake. When I got up to leave I yelled over and said, I'm coming out, for God's sake don't shoot. I said this more as a joke. No one said anything and there was no more movement from that direction. I once again yelled a little louder, I'm coming up, please don't shoot. I started walking towards the dirt road and wandered back and forth between the transmission power lines. I thought it funny that whoever it was didn't call back to say they had heard me. I got to the dirt road and started back to my car, thinking that whoever it was didn't want to make any noise to scare any animals, as it was not quite dark enough to stop hunting. But for me, I felt the urge to leave. As I moved down the road towards my car the sound of walking in the woods started again off to my right just inside the tree line. I thought that maybe whoever it was had decided to walk out with me. Whoever it was did not come out of the woods, but just kept paralleling me. I stopped, they stopped. This is beginning to creep me out, so I asked them to come out where I could see them. There's no reply. In a louder voice I said, enough's enough. No more games. Get your ass out here so I can see you. Again, there's no reply. I took my gun off my shoulder and locked around into the chamber, keeping the gun pointed in the direction of the area, while I heard the walking, but with my safety on. I continued to walk to my car. When I stopped it stopped. I became worried that maybe this was not human. I began to think that this might be a Bigfoot. I was also aware that there may be another one on the left side of me. I started to watch all around me after all, I would rather be safe than sorry. I still had quite a way to go to get to my car, and knew it would be dark by the time I got there. I started to jog so I could possibly get there before it was totally dark. The thing to my right started keeping pace with me. I could hear it breaking limbs, and what sounded like small trees as it kept pace with me. By this time I knew it was not a human being, and I was almost sure it was a Bigfoot. I made it to my car without ever seeing what it was, but I wasted no time in putting things away neatly. I simply threw my things in the car and got out of there as fast as I could without ever seeing it. I can tell you it was not a bear, cougar bobcat or anything else that I've experienced in the woods. I cannot say it was for sure a Bigfoot, but because of an experience years previous, I'm more positive than not that it was. I had an experience last winter that I still can't explain. I live in Oceanside, New York, which is along the south shore of Long Island about 50 minutes outside of Manhattan. Typical suburbia, I live in a townhouse-gated community, situated about three miles from the Atlantic Ocean, so it's usually warmer than the rest of the state and sees little snowfall in the winter. I'm a sales engineer, age 59, divorced, and share this large two-level apartment with a fellow divorcee, a 60-something-year-old guy named L. Think, the odd couple would best describe the scenario. My bedroom faces south, with a large bay window 5x8 that I use two sets of blinds, one being a blackout blind that lets almost no light through, and if it does it's usually just a sliver of light from a passing car coming through from the edges. L has the master about 30 feet down.
1: Small details or big surfaces?
2: Down the hall, and his room faces north, with a big double sliding door onto his terrace. Last February, we actually had a moderate snowstorm that started late afternoon, and went on well into the night. Around 3am, while laying in bed yet still awake, I heard a few loud rolls of thunder outside, which I thought was pretty weird for a snowstorm but chalked it up to some release of energy that the storm probably had. I got up and went across the room, stood in front of my dresser taking a sip of water, totally in the dark, as I know the room. The next thing I know, the entire room lit up with the most absolute bright white light I have ever seen. It lasted a solid 3-4 seconds, and then cut out. It literally filled the room illuminating everything with no shadows. I immediately considered it to be lightning, but with the nightshades blocking everything, no way lightning would have been more than a sliver off to the side. And more importantly, lightning doesn't last anywhere near that long, let alone be so solid. It was almost as if someone turned on a light switch, looked around for a few, and then shut it off. Weird. It was like a scene from Star Trek TNG, when the bridge gets scanned by some alien probe, and everything goes white long enough to make an assessment. That was the entire event. The next morning over breakfast with L, I mentioned. Did you happen to see any kind of bright white light late last night? Now L is many things but sorta two-dimensional, has no interest in the UFO phenomena and doesn't believe in ghosts or god or anything. No ability to discuss those subjects, even ridicules me for my beliefs in these things, despite all the recent media attention and partial gov disclosures. But this time, he went, oh my god, yes I saw that, it filled the room from the inside out, what the hell was that? So that confirmed I wasn't imagining this event and left me wondering more as this happened in two rooms separated by some distance, and each facing in opposite directions. If I had to guess, I'd say we were scanned by something or someone. No missing time, no weird body marks after, no latent memories popping into my mind. Guess we weren't what they were looking for. I wish I had the sense in that moment to have gone to the window, pulled the blinds back, and looked up, maybe I would have seen the craft that did this. Perhaps next time, I have always been keenly into the UFO subject, going way back to sightings when I was a little kid, and I have seen various things over the years that I don't need convincing it's all real. I love looking up at the sky and checking for our celestial visitors, and usually see something at least once or twice a year. When I was a young child in 1965, I started having dreams about once a month that there were big ants in my room, walking like people, and coming up to the side of my crib and looking at me. I remember one morning as my dad was getting ready to go to work at around 5am, I ran into the kitchen where he and my mother were standing drinking coffee. My dad picked me up, sat me on the kitchen counter and asked me how I got out of my crib. I told them the big ant man let me out. Now, I'm not saying I was abducted by aliens or anything like that, but this did happen for about a year and my parents were finding me sleeping all over the house. Once in the rambler in the carport. So they started tying me down at night in my crib. I don't ever remember getting out on my own, or anyone else letting me out except for the one time. I'm in my fifties now and I remember this clearly, but I would never say that I thought I was abducted by aliens. Some of the circumstances could suggest a possibility of it. As soon as you even mention in seriousness that you have a feeling, or that you know you have been in contact with beings not of this world, you are going to be labeled as crazy or a weirdo and life can become even harder for a person living with this kind of thing. I'm not saying that I did have some kind of contact with beings other than humans, I don't know, because I don't have any vivid memories of being taken anywhere out of my house, even when I was sleeping in the car. What I remember is what could most likely have been a recurring dream of human-sized ants being in my room, and in the hallway of our house leading to the bedrooms. What kind of bugs me is that the more I think about it, the more I think they could have been greys and I wasn't dreaming. The problem here is that I have been exposed to media all of my life and can't tell if it's just my mind remembering things this way, and my thoughts have been influenced by the media reports I've seen all my life starting with Betty and Barney Hill, or if this was in actuality real. I still wonder if that was what happened. I was adopted by the way, and none of my family members or my brother who was also adopted remember anything out of the ordinary. I can't say that I had any contact because I just can't be sure, but something has kept this interesting to me for this long without any concrete answers, and I just get the feeling that there has always been something either watching or in my life in some sort of hidden way. I served in the military and came close to being killed a few times, but wasn't because of somewhat freak circumstances I won't go into in an online post. I also had pancreatic cancer 15 years ago, and after 9 rounds of chemo and many radiation treatments, I was still getting worse. Then in a matter of 6 months, I went into remission and have been cancer free for going on 11 years now. I had a heart attack when I was all alone at home, what they called a pretty major one at that, and I lost consciousness after I was able to call 911. My front door was locked, and I am positive I locked it, because I was headed to bed when the heart attack happened, and I always locked my front door, and all others too. The EMTs walked right in, the door was unlocked, and I was saved from what would have been certain death if I had waited any longer. How was my door unlocked? You got me. Wyoming's a strange place, vast and empty, yet filled with ruthless wildlife and nature. Even the most mundane can become the most terrifying when you're alone in the woods, ready to get lost. Based on a true story, only names have been changed. Part one. The year was 2020, I was jobless and without a care in the world. Unemployment checks were coming in and for the first time in my young life, I had enough money to put down on a brand new shiny car. I went to the dealership and pretty much chose the first car I saw, a 2008 RAV4. Mind you, I know it's not a brand new car But to me it was a car made of solid gold, I'd never owned anything with less than 200k miles at that point. It was freeing to buy a brand new car with no problems, I'd gotten a clean bill of health from my mechanic, and figured there was no other way to break it in than to go on a road trip. My old friend had been car camping across the US at that point, and we made a plan to meet in Wyoming for my first real outdoor excursion. I packed a sleeping bag, a tent, and any other gear I could fit and drove my way out to the Medicine Bow National Forest to meet my friend. The drive there was an experience itself, no cell service, empty roads, only us, and the dry, dense trees. It was nearing the middle of June as we drove our rigs out into the middle of the forest. Giant snowdrifts still lay on most of the dirt roads making some entirely impassable. But the glacier lilies and grape hyacinths were slowly peeping their heads out, and the blades of fresh green grass crept through the patches of ice and snow. The forest was still reawakening from its chilly slumber, and it made the whole landscape that much more ethereal. The birds were singing, the bugs beginning to buzz after a long winter. We drove through the trees, north, as far as we could, passing through large swathes of burned scar that became more and more apparent as we pressed on. The landscape was still beautiful, but there was something unnerving about those dead trees, and the way they creaked in total silence. Light started to fade, and we landed in a camp spot that was partial burned scar, most likely from a fire decades before. The singed trees gave way to a breathtaking view of the Alpine Mesa. We lit a small fire and set up camp as we caught up with each other's lives. It was pitch dark as we sat over the campfire, roasting brats and laughing over old memories, when I saw it. It started as a sliver of light on the horizon thin, but bright. It looked like a car that had its brights on far, far away. But the thing was, we were on one of the last accessible roads. There were no other roads that direction, only dead, fallen trees for miles. But the light got brighter. What is that? I finally exclaimed. My friend looked over his shoulder, and was just as bewildered as I was. It was so bright, and it appeared to be coming closer, and brighter. Suddenly. The thought of a forest fire flashed through my mind. I'm sure the same idea went through my friend's head, as we both locked eyes shot up from our seats. The light was captivating, hypnotizing almost. But time was short, we scurried around the camp in a frenzy trying to track down our things. The light became larger and brighter. I had never seen anything so bright in pure darkness before as it grew in size, so did my fear, was it another camper driving aimlessly through the forest, a fire, a bomb, the end of the world, in a strange moment, we both stopped, and looked towards the light, the sliver had turned into a blinding cascade of light, and it grew, the trees around us lit up, and their strange scraggly shadows were cast down upon the ground, we looked onward, bathed in the light of this great, bright thing. What was it? With the silence, up it crept. That was when we realized, it was the moon, a full moon. The fullest I've ever seen, I'd say. We laughed hysterically as the moon rose, teasing ourselves for getting so paranoid. Spirits returned to normal as we settled in for a chilly night of sleep. To this day, I've never seen a full moon so big and so bright as the one that evening, and I think it's pretty silly for one person to mistake the moon for a forest fire. But for two people to do it, that's a little bizarre. Maybe it was a warning, a foreshadowing of strange things to come. At least, maybe that's how I should have seen it at the time, if I'd known what lay ahead of me. Part two. It was a chilly June morning, I awakened with a slight mist on my breath, and wiggled out of my sleeping bag. We couldn't have gotten off to a better start it was a beautiful early summer day. The sun was shining with only a few small, puffy clouds speckled across the big blue sky. My friend Sam as we will now refer to him, and I packed our remaining gear, and got back on the rough backroads of the Medicine Bow National Forest. Today we were heading even more north, to a large but secluded reservoir in the middle of the forest. We had lost most of our google map data as we'd gotten further in, and both of our cars were without GPS or touchscreen. But as I'd learned from my former analog camping escapades, you just gotta, look for the big brown signs, and that'll usually lead you the way. I didn't think twice about not having a physical map with us, hindsight's 2020. It was strange having the roads all to ourselves. You would think the place would be infested with four wheelers and happy campers, but the mix of the 2020 pandemic and an extra wet winter left scant others on the trails. The further we went, the less people we saw, until eventually, we hadn't come across another person in several hours. The roads had gotten progressively worse as we drove on. Large, muddy ruts turned into slushy potholes that would explode into a rainbow of ice shards with each tire rotation. I followed closely behind Sam's forerunner, rolling along in my stock summer tires as best I could in the ever-deepening snow. But there came a point in the road where even Sam's second-guessed getting across. There were a few logs lodged into the drift to help with traction, even so it was still a good three feet of slushy, wet snow. Sam approached cautiously, but with a few spins of the tires he made it across the drift. Now it was my turn. Call it stupidity, inexperience, what you will I was determined to make it over that damn pile of snow. I didn't want to come off as that fearful little girl that couldn't do tough outdoor shit. And so once Sam was across, I put the pedal to the metal and gunned my little RAV4 across the snow. I heard my car revving and groaning as I pushed on. Only to come to a sputtering stop in the middle of the snow drift. Tried as I might, I couldn't roll forward, I couldn't go back, my car had sunken into the soft snow, and I was stuck in the equivalent of cold quicksand. Now, we weren't totally unprepared. Sam had a couple of toe straps, the challenge was finding a way to attach them onto my car and drag it out. My hands were frozen and scratched from the ice, as we dug with any shovel-type instruments we could find. It took some time, but inch by inch we wriggled my car free. Not without damage, though we had ripped off my undercarriage cover in the process, and who knew what else that couldn't be seen with the naked eye. I was pissed mostly at myself for being such an idiot. Not only had I damaged my brand new car, but the road was now totally inaccessible after our laborious snow digging operation. The piles of slush and mud made it impossible for either of us to turn back the way we came. Thankfully, we were pressing on north using a different route. But with each mile we drove I felt less and less confident. If there was this big old snow pile on one of the main back roads, who's to say how the other roads would look further on? We arrived at the reservoir by mid-afternoon, hungry and irritable. Our thoughts soon melted away with the summer sun and waterside views. The reservoir wouldn't officially open for the season due to pandemic, so we were met with empty beaches and the soft sounds of the waves on the shore. It was very peaceful, and very much needed after spending the last few hours digging my car out of the cold snow. Little did we know, there were clouds on the horizon, dark ones. The white puffballs of the morning had turned an ominous black, and a chill wind had swiftly picked up. Something was coming. Part 3 We sat on the beach for what seemed like ages simply absorbing the last 24 hours. It's crazy how time can stretch when you're out in the wild. The trek out, the night before, the car getting stuck. Things that would feel so mundane or mildly inconvenient in day-to-day life, felt like a momentous event out here in the middle of nowhere. The calm waves became louder, more rushed as they lapped against the eroded rocks of the shore on which we sat. The summer sun slid behind the clouds, and the balmy 70-degree day dropped a quick 30 degrees within the span of us walking from the beach back to the cars. Like a whisper, a single snowflake fell on my windshield as I shut my driver door, and I knew we were in for a storm. As a Colorado child, I was raised to laugh in the face of snow, especially in June. But our measly storms were no match to those of Wyoming. The few flakes fattened and fell in large clumps as we traversed our way into the trees. Our route out was to take less than an hour and got us just outside the small town of Centennial. Maybe if we went quickly, we could outrun the storm. Maybe if we're lucky, we could find a little hotel for the night and wait out the cold weather. Optimism is futile and the wild practicalism is a much better option. We drove on, and the snow got worse. I squinted and white knuckled my wheel while I navigated the rutted road that was coated in fresh powder. Sam was only a few feet ahead of me, but I was having trouble keeping track of him. When heavy snow falls that fast, it's like trying to stare through the static on a television. It had been just over an hour when Sam came to a sudden stop. It took me a second to see why, but smack dab in front of us was a snowdrift on the road that was at least 10 feet tall. Our way out was impassable. It snowed harder, Sam ran out from his car to my window. We had to make a plan, and fast. We had no GPS, no maps, no cell phone service and zero way out in the middle of a summer blizzard, by which we were completely unprepared for. Our best bet was to head back towards the reservoir, but even now that was an hour away, and all of the already foreign roads were now covered in a blanket of snow. We did our best to retrace our tracks, but were losing daylight fast. We'd go down a road, certain it was the way back, only to be met with a dead end or snowdrift. Over and over we'd try a road, dead end, and turn back around, bringing my gas tank down to less than half full. Finally with a stroke of luck, we found a familiar looking clearing with a road that we were pretty sure would take us back to the reservoir. It was almost dark, and the snow was now impossible to drive in with my summer tires. So knowing we were possibly on the right track, we finally pulled off to make camp. As I put my car in park, I looked out the window onto a group of nearby moose stampeding through the clearing. The snow swirled around their black silhouettes as they pounded towards the forest. The silence after was deafening, we were all alone out here. As you would imagine, we weren't expecting a winter storm in the middle of June. And i wasn't prepared for it either back then i was still relying on a walmart camping setup and that was maybe good for sleeping in the 40 50 f range the heaviest jackets i had were a sweatshirt and a raincoat no gloves my cheap butane stove barely lit in the cold temps and food supplies were dwindling fast i couldn't keep my car running for heat because we had no extra gas and no idea how long it would take to find a new route out to asphalt. The cold set in, then reality. I felt broken as I started to shiver. The epic camping trip was turning out to be a lot more epic than expected, and I was starting to get scared. Sam was faring better than I, but still had a tinge of anxiety in his manner. Our way out was blocked, the way we came in was blocked, even more so with the fresh snow. There were plenty of roads around us, but we were effectively stuck in a labyrinth without a map. There was no way to tell which of the roads would be blocked by mounds of snow, and which would lead us out, if we could even get out. We were lost in Wyoming. It was now pitch black outside. The wind picked up and screamed as I huddled in the back of my car, trying to build a makeshift tent out of any extra blankets to stay warm. The snow was stacking up, I did not have a good feeling about this. Part 4. I awoke with a thud. I didn't remember falling asleep the constant howls of the wind had played through my ears the entire night. Boom. Another one. I realized it was snow falling on the roof of my car. I suddenly remembered where I was and sat up. Dawn had broken, and the sun was peeping through in glints and glimpses through the low-lying clouds and fog. A few wisps of snow fluttered through the air, but for the most part the storm had passed. It seemed like it'd be a grey day, and it was time to assess the damage, and pee. It had been a while, I didn't even remember drinking any water the day before. I tore away my insulating blankets and cracked open the car door. It looked like a winter wonderland outside, the thin dry pines were now girthy with snow. The roads were no longer covered in snow, but were left with a slushy wet crust that crunched as you walked. It was cold, and the clumps of snow in the trees started falling faster in rhythmic thumps to the ground. Sam's car door creaked open, and he peeked out looking just as bewildered as I felt. As mentioned in part 3, we weren't exactly prepared for a winter storm in the middle of June. We had no map, no GPS, and no cell service. My car had summer tires, and who knows what kind of damage after getting stuck and lugged out of the snowdrift just a few days prior. My gas tank was less than half full after trying to backtrack to the reservoir. There was no way I could drive until the roads dried, and we found a solid way out. We could use Sam's forerunner to drive around in search, but he had less gas than I had. We relied too heavily on stocking up in the next town. All of our supplies, including food, were very low. We couldn't even make a fire because everything was soaked with wet snow. We made a decision right then and there that we weren't going anywhere in the cars that day. Today would be a snow day. In times of unexpected crisis, there is some solace in trying to find humor in the situation. I didn't want to focus on the fact that we were stuck, or lost, or almost out of food. At first we stuck to our campsite. We had landed in quite a beautiful spot. It was the start of a small clearing with a rocky creek nearby. The moose from the night before would occasionally walk out on the far opposite end of the clearing, and we watched on as they scavenged for food under the fresh snow. The fog began to clear out, and we slowly ventured further from the cars, only to realize the creek got larger and wider, and eventually. It fed into the reservoir. It was only about a mile away, we were much closer than we thought. Our best idea of the whole trip in my opinion, was to walk to the parking area of the reservoir, and see if there was a map. It was maybe two miles, but now that we had our bearings we were ready to skip in leaps and bounds to the reservoir. It was as if nature sensed the positive vibes, and the sun came out to shine on our way towards the shore. Just as we hoped a map came in sight as we walked down the road to the picnic tables and bathrooms. It seemed like the road went in a giant loop around the reservoir, and if we followed the loop, the road would connect back to Fox Park, where we started. There were really only three ways in and out to this area, and this was our last option with the other two roads being blocked. If we wanted to get close to getting out, or to help at least, This was the way to try. With that we meandered along the creek back towards the cars with high hopes. As we got closer though, I noticed a small white cross nailed to a tree atop a small rock outcropping. We walked towards it, minding each icy rock as we went. It appeared to be some sort of memorial or grave, for something. Or someone, years of sun and ice had bleached most of the writing away. Once we realized what it was we both fell silent and swiftly stepped off the large rocky mound, slightly unnerved. We beelined it towards the campsite that was only a few hundred feet away. Some of the wood had dried out enough for a small fire, and we sat closely huddled. I made my last packet of ramen. After this, all I had was a protein bar, an onion, and some instant coffee. I really didn't want to eat that onion. The sun set, and with the warm spirits of the day, a cold uncertainty returned. I went to bed early, but woke up in the dark around 3 am. I heard a loud noise outside and sat up. The silhouette of a single moose stood outside my car, no more than five feet away, completely still. His antlers looked like large hands splayed upwards towards the starry sky. The silhouette of his massive body was like some sort of contorted human standing there, watching. He looked like a statue, motionless in the dark. I lay back down silently, hoping this to be a good omen, albeit a frightening one. Tomorrow would tell. Part 5. Today would be the day we would get out of this mud-forsaken labyrinth. I could feel it. My eyes fluttered open to the ceiling of my car, Frost and condensation stuck to the windows. Not as cold as yesterday, not warm either. The sun gleamed down on the remaining snow outside, there was a good amount of melt overnight. The roads weren't dry, but they were a lot better than yesterday. It was decided we would both go leave our small camping hovel behind. It was much better to get closer to civilization than it was to stay here. If we couldn't get out, then others couldn't get in. We warmed our cars and our bodies with the remaining instant coffee, and hopped on the road. There was no sense in wasting time. We followed the road towards the reservoir, and I couldn't help, but feel a little sad to leave our snow globe of solitude. I don't know if it was the isolation, or the sheer intensity of everything that had happened, and could potentially happen in the next few hours, but part of me just wanted to stay in that spot forever. It was peaceful, unnervingly peaceful. Just as we passed the bullet-ridden stop sign to the reservoir, I saw two moose far across the clearing, standing there motionless, staring in our direction. I felt like they didn't want us to leave, like we were some new entertainment for them after the long months of winter. The reservoir came into our sights and we headed straight, Heading past the parking lot in mere minutes compared to our 45-minute walk there the day before. It had seemed like such a journey of survival only 24 hours ago, wondering if we would find a map, a way out. Now it was just another blip on the screen of memories. The road began to branch off like a tree, endless openings to unnamed roads leading to who knows where, everything was hidden by the trees. We did our best to follow the small brown number signs and veered left along the reservoir edge. I was hopeful, elated even when I saw us winding our way closer, and closer to the dam far off on the other side. I could almost taste a fresh gas station breakfast burrito. Just as we were approaching the final set of curves, the unthinkable came into sight. We had dealt with mud, snow but the last thing we planned for was trees. And right there in the middle of our route, was a large group of dead fallen pines. We had a saw and an axe, but it would have taken literal days for the two of us to hack and lever those trees off the road. Trust me when I say we seriously considered spending the rest of the day hacking through those trees, but it would have been futile. Our final way out was blocked. We had no choice but to turn back. To say I was upset was an understatement. I was cold, tired, hungry, and very low on gas. But with each passing mile, the thoughts of abandoning the cars to walk to help became more of a reality. From the map at the reservoir, it had only shown three routes in and out of this area, and we had now found all three to be blocked. We hadn't seen signs of another human in days. We weren't left with many other options. But once again, we had to make a new plan. It was now turning truly into survival, and if we went on in both cars, we both risked emptying our gas tanks and ending up further into the forest if we ventured on. If we left one car, we could use the other to explore some of the infinite amounts of backroads that surrounded us. But as was the challenge in the days before, we didn't know which would be blocked, or if any would lead us out. We finally decided that our best bet was to go back to the reservoir, back to the initial way we came in, and spend the rest of the day shoveling away as much snow and ice as we could to get through. It was not a promising plan but was better than trying to saw through hundreds of pounds of logs, or wasting more gas and getting more lost. The drive back around the water's edge was not a pleasant one. The positive and nostalgic vibes I had woken up had evaporated. It was a hard lesson learned, to not get too set on one plan in a survival situation, because more often than not, the plan will not go according to plan at all. We approached a crossroad that would take us back the way we came, and I rolled down my windows to bring in some fresh air and clear my mind. And then I heard something, very faint over the rumbling of our car motors. Zoom. A flash of red sped by us. Zoom. Zoom. Two more. It was a gaggle of ATVs TVs driven by some old men in ratty old sweatshirts, ripped jeans and trucker hats, going in the opposite direction of the reservoir. My eyes widened, and before I could think to say anything Sam's forerunner kicked mud into my windshield and started going left, I followed. We didn't see the ATVs anymore, but the road was wet enough that we could still follow their tracks. They continued straight for a while, and eventually came to a large fork and veered left deeper into the trees. It was only now that I thought about the possibility of them going for a joy ride, and we were throwing ourselves deeper into the forest. But if they had experienced anything like us, 90% of the roads out here were impassable. And if they had to turn around, it seemed like there was no better help to get out than some backwoods Wyoming folk. We drove on, and the snow drifts around us dissipated. The mud slush road was now mostly dry save for a few water-filled potholes. Bugs started buzzing, the color of the fresh flowers I had seen driving in those days before reappeared on the sides of the road. And finally, a cabin. I wanted to scream with joy. Just as we passed a few more cabins, my phone buzzed. For the first time in days, I had service. Sam and I stopped for a brief moment to indulge in our phones. There were a few texts from my mom, but I had told her to expect not hearing from me for a few days as service in Wyoming can be hit or miss. Little did she know. A few Snapchat notifications were listed on my screen too, but for the most part, everything seemed entirely normal, and it was just another unremarkable June day. Finding cell service didn't solve all of our problems though. We were both at less than a quarter of a tank by now, and doubted we could get to Foxpark and Centennial with what was left. Cautiously we decided to drive on the back roads to the small town of Albany, and onto the closest gas station in Centennial, it cut our miles in half. We made sure to take plenty of screenshots of the route map something we half chuckled that we should have done days before. The roads were now bone dry as we drove on, the temperature rose significantly, and for the first time in days, I was hot. My windows were rolled down and I invited in the warmth and sounds of the cheerful summer birds. The road descended slowly into a large valley that could be caught in glimpses through the thinning trees, and eventually, a small town came into view. Albany. We slowed to a rolling stop as we saw sleepy locals ending their days in the surrounding houses. Neighbors were chatting on the sidewalks with their dogs happily distracted by the bountiful wildlife that had re-emerged after the cold storm. I laughed as the dusty asphalt of a real road came into view, it was the first I had seen in days. My shoulders relaxed as we drove on and picked up speed flying towards the gas station as fast as we could. It felt good to know where we were, we were no longer lost in Wyoming. We were on the road again to new destinations and new adventures. The only remaining evidence of our passings, there were the settling dust on the old rutted backroads of the Medicine Bow.